Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. It's nice to see you all. So we are engaged in a discovery of a whole year's worth of investigation into what in Buddhism is called the paramis or the perfections. And uh, we have to be very careful how we approach the word perfection because when we assess ourselves in relationship to any perfect word, we always come up lacking. And so uh, this is not about making us feel inadequate and how much trial and tribulation we have to go through in order to improve. That's looking at the wrong side of the equation of this. And forever will make us feel um, unworthy in respect to the practice that we're doing. But rather, these are uh, qualities, if I can put the word quality onto presence, because it really isn't a quality to presence. It's a quality, the mind holds the quality, and we project those quality onto something that's completely without qualities. But when somebody moves from presence, when there is presence, and somebody is abiding within presence, we, the person responds in a very different way, from a very different universe, from a very different orientation to life. They aren't flustered or anxious. They aren't busy. And so we then say, oh, you are patient. Well, they're not patient. They're just not flustered and busy. You see? And they naturally relinquish excesses to people who are in need, or have time to share uh, in space and attention. And we say, oh, you're generous. You're being generous. And from their point of view, that's not at all what is happening. That's, they're just abiding in and with uh, the moment, and that's what the next thing for them to do. So these qualities of paramis are really qualities that we project out to presence, and we say, oh, what a, wonderful, what a wonderful life it would be to be so patient. And then we try to evaluate how patient we are or becoming in relationship to someone or some presence that doesn't hold that quality at all. And therefore, uh, I would like to start from the beginning. And rather than moving from the inadequacy, I'd like to start from... And because all we have to do in order to abide comfortably within all of the qualities of heart that are available is to eliminate the obstructions that keep us from abiding there. Now, it's a very different way, and I can't uh, encourage this enough. It's a very different uh, route to one's practice. It's a very different encouragement to one practice than to constantly try to cultivate quality so that we can at some place be able to manifest some degree of patience or some degree of generosity or some degree of wisdom rather than understanding it the other way. You'll never win through uh, looking at where you are and where you need to go. There will always be more to do, and you'll always come up with a sense of, of just not quite uh, being up to the task, because none of us are. But all of us are up to the task of being able to look at where we're selfish and where we are contracted, and being able to release that contraction, to be able to step out of the sense of our selfishness, out of the sense of our egoic contraction, and see what's there on the other side. All of us have that ability. And that's all that's being asked of us. You see the difference? So tonight we, this is the second talk on energy. And energy is a real interesting one. Because, again, if we look at it from the side of diminishment, uh, we think, how can I have more energy? How can I, how can I infuse more energy into my life, into my practice, so that I have more passion, more thirst for the truth. 
And so, again, from that point of view, uh, we're always going to be um, in a diminished status to the amount of energy we need. <clears throat> now, one thing about energy is that it's the substance of the universe. Everything, everything contains energy or nothing would move, nothing would change without energy. See, things change because they have energy. And if you look at even matter, Einstein tells us, matter, G, matter is just um, a fixed energy, frozen energy. And if you unleash matter, you get the explosion, atomic bomb or just uh, the nuclear reaction of the energy that's released from that frozen matter. So even matter is composed of energy. So we can't get out of energy. Energy is the manifestation of the universe. It's the building block of the universe. It's the, it's the first manifestation into form of the universe. It's energy. And then everything else comes from that. And one of the ways uh, to look at our own situation is to see that uh, where, where we freeze energy, where we keep it frozen, where we keep it fixed. And lo and behold, the most predominant place that we fix and freeze our energy is in the sense of me and you, is the sense of our image. Our image is frozen energy. If you think of what an image is, it's something that we infuse with certainty. It's something that we count on to be there as our definition. And therefore, it's very tightly and contracted around and protected and defended. And if we know anything about energy, energy moves, voltage or anything, any form of energy, current moves. And then where there is resistance, there is heat. Right? And as I mentioned in the first talk on energy, where the energy of the universe is resisted, that heat from the resistance is the concept of you and I, is the self-image that we proclaim and hold as being true. So the sense of me is a limitation on the energy. Okay? Now how, how can that be? What, what am I talking about? That the sense of you and me is a limitation or resistance to the natural flow of energy. Well, if energy is in the universe and moves on its own accordance, in its own way, and has its own way of moving, has its own intelligence within its movement. I mean, look around. Everything is moving somewhere. Life is moving. It doesn't need our pushing and shoving to make it move. It's been moving since its inception in the Big Bang, and it's continued to move right on through. And, it, and the whole way it moves is beyond our knowledge, but there's no doubt in our minds that it's moving someplace. And as we view or start perceiving energy moving in a certain way, we have our opinions about how it should be moving. And it's not moving in accordance to my betterment or to my particular demands. And so then we confiscate the energy of the universe that's flowing freely, that's moving effortlessly, and we infuse it with our demands. So we create a resistance to the natural flow and movement of energy. What's that resistance look like? It looks like wanting and fearing in our lives. I want this, I don't want that, I'm afraid of that. I have to have this. Expectation, anticipation. And that's the heat, that's the rub of where we are being formed by confiscating the universal energy as an individual output. The downside of that is that we get ourselves separate from everything else through our demands. That's how we are formed, is by confiscating or resisting the natural flow of energy in life and demanding it to flow in a particular way, where in a way it's not flowing. And so we get ourselves. We also get the heat the rub of the resistance, right? Because where there's resistance, there's heat. Where we're making demands on the natural flow of energy, that's where there's resistance and there's heat. What does that heat look like? It looks like pain and suffering. It looks like disappointment, dissatisfaction. 
It looks like the hurt that most of us experience throughout our day when our demands are not being met, when we don't get what we need. I want, we say. And our effort to, to, uh, to tie energy to a result forces energy to move in a way that it isn't moving. And so it's, it's like any distortion. It gives a distorted perception from that view. The perception we get from distorting our energy according to what we want from the natural universal energy that's here already is the perspective of you and me. Me being here and you being there. That's, it's like when you take light that hits the water and it's refracted slightly by the density of the water coming from air. So too, when you take the natural energy and you refract it through your wanting and desiring, you get a different perspective from that distortion, that refracted uh, light pattern. And that refracted light pattern looks like you and me. It looks like the world of multiplicity. It looks like duality. It looks like all the things of the world. You see? I'm just trying to show you a different way to perceive the Dharma. That's my job. It's to take us out of the fixed way that we hold the Dharma because any way that we fix ourselves in relationship to anything is frozen energy. And I find that it's very helpful to have alternative ways to perceive even dharmically so that we can break out of this kind of encrusted way that we perceive life and hold the Dharma so that we can get free of it. So if we look at it in terms of energy, it's a very different way to look than the normal way that we perceive the four noble truths and all the things that we're doing in order to create our suffering from our all that. Now, energy doesn't necessarily move skillfully. If your wants and desires are very individually determined, it will move in accordance with that. And the more demanding you are, the more demanding we are, the more... Uh, there will be the resistance, and the more resistance, the more heat, and the more heat, the more pain, more suffering associated. So if we're very, very demanding, very tight, very contracted, you can be sure that we're going to suffer a lot. Fair enough? So let's look at uh, how we relate to certain difficulties like pain through the use of energy and whether energy is contracted or connected because when energy can be opened up beyond the contracted demands that we make of it, it becomes connected once more. It no longer holds the view of this me being here and you being there and connects. There's a feeling of connectedness within the energy. The energy doesn't move in isolation just through you. It moves through all things equally. And so if it's allowed to move in its natural direction, the perception then comes back in of being things being connected because energetically they are connected. So it's no longer distorted or refracted through that sense of resistance called self. So the sense of universal, of oneness, of things being together is unresisted energy. So now we're going to take it, make it very practical. You're sitting on your cushion and you have knee pain. And the question is, what? first of all, the immediate thought that comes to most of us is, I don't want this. That's not the way I wanted my sitting to go. And the more we invest in that thought, the more we confiscate the energy that's moving effortlessly and we create a bulb, a bulge in the tire of that energy in which we are backing away from the natural way it's moving. And we say, I don't want this to happen. When we pull back the energy from its natural flow, we start hurting and fearing what this pain in the knee is going to bring forth, how this pain of knee is going to eventually turn out all the disastrous ways that it's going to hurt me so that I'll never walk again. On and on, okay? And so that is contracted energy, right? 
That's a contraction of our energy. We're pulling back and we're like taking up uh, a defensive position in relationship to something we don't want called the pain in our knee. What does connected energy look like? Connected energy moves toward the pain. The pain doesn't go away. The pain doesn't all of a sudden cure itself. But no longer is there a bulge in the tire. So as we begin to relax in relationship to the physical pain that's expressing itself, the bulge decreases, the natural movement of energy begins, and we feel connected with the pain which means we no longer fear where that pain is going because we're no longer projecting a sense of fear into that pain. We're no longer worried about where it's going. We are able to abide with it without having any resistance to it, is another way of saying it. And so the energy becomes reconnected by not making demands upon a particular difficulty that we perceive, perceive difficulty. Now, what does that require? Energy, by definition, if it's unconscious, it's resisted, right? Because when we're unconscious to something, we're resisting whatever it is that we don't want to be conscious to. So connected energy looks awake. has to be awake. In other words, we have to be conscious to the pain in order for us to not have resistance to the pain. It's not going to come from unconsciously wanting this to self-correct or for us to get over this difficulty. It only comes from our intentional awareness to be present. And that intentional awareness to be present includes the difficulties and unpleasant objects within that awareness. Pull out from any aspect of our lives And we've created the bulge in the tire again. And we're resisting and moving our energy in a distorted way. Get a sense of that? Now, I would just like to take this because this moves more towards the point of the homework. Around the area of conflict. So we saw saw the pain in our knee. And that's there's internal conflict there. When something isn't going our way, we feel like we're in trouble. We're in conflict with something, right? So most of us are pretty good in our meditation at being able to deal with our internal responses without much conflict. We've learned that. We've learned to relax. We've learned to orientate ourselves orient ourselves to the difficulty instead of trying to escape the difficulty. We've learned to bring attention to the difficulty on and on. But where the system breaks down for many people, especially interactive and urban dwellers like ourselves, is interpersonal conflicts. Hmm? Interpersonal conflicts has exactly the same effect as intrapersonal conflict. And that is that when we are in conflict with someone, the same bulge of energy forms and the same degree of separation, increased separation results from that conflict. And most of us have very deep, almost childhood conditioning, habitual ways to deal, or better said, not to deal with conflict. We uh, repress it. We turn away from it. We deny it that it's happening. We want no part of it. We try to run away from any kind of difficulty that arises. We don't want anything. We just we feel that there could be something. What do we think about conflict? That there could be something disastrous that's going to result here. That there's going to be something that will be in some kind of crisis mode, or that some perhaps violence will come out of if I address this conflict. Now, the the meditator, the meditator, the person who really wants to resolve this expression of energy and realign it understands that they can't be living in their secluded existence, dealing with their internal difficulties, and forget any problems they're having externally 
and just avoid that because it's all an internal reorganization. It has nothing at all to do with my... That's rubbish. We have to be equally as involved in every form of difficulty regardless of what or how it's manifesting. And I would ask of you, and the reason I wrote this homework is because as I see people, again and again this theme comes up, this unwillingness to face conflict, interpersonal conflict. We just have this uh, historical memory of our family being out of control or my father or my mother being out of control when conflict arose or maybe I was out of control. And that blocks a real deep involvement within that difficulty. And I'm not suggesting that we better, we become a better arguer. That's not the resolution of conflict. When resolution of conflict requires a, a different degree of maturity, really, than the uh, maturity to be able to sit with pain. Because the whole thing gets very confusing very quickly. Uh, we don't know what's inviting the responses or the emotional reaction we're having and we seem to be caught in some kind of circular communicative loop with the other partner and the whole thing gets very enmeshed very quickly because we haven't done the same degree of study interpersonally as we have with our knee pain. Knee pain, I can tell you what happens in that, but having argued with my wife, I don't know where I am on the board. Right? Why is that? You see? Because we have been avoiding the same kind of introspection, the same sort of investigation to external conflict that we apply to our internal difficulties. And we need to bring some energy there. We need to really look at that. And we're in the ideal place to be able to do that. The ideal location is the active, interactive uh, life that we are all leading. So a little more attention to interpersonal difficulties and maybe next week we'll go into it a little more. But I have a lot to cover tonight, so I'm going to move on. <clears throat> now, unconscious energy, when we're resisting it, there's only one place it can move. It can move. It moves into thought. That's where we invest when we disagree with life and we refuse to have it on its terms, there's only other, one other place we can go and that's we can invest the same energy because the same energy is still available. It's no longer available in aligning ourselves with reality. It's now invested in thoughts about reality. And as soon as I invest all of that energy, we're talking about the energy of the universe here, being invested in thoughts about reality, suddenly the thoughts take on shapes, forms, persuasions that worlds that we cannot believe. And that's our life. That's most of our life. And we just keep investing the energy into the commentary, the narrative of our life because we can send it anywhere. We can bypass any problem. We can avoid any conflict. We can make it certain that our vacation that we had last year can be relived and relived and relived. <laughs> Everything seems, it's a virtual reality, isn't it? It's no different than going on your computer screen and buying a person and having them walk around and do what you want them to do. That's who we are. We're virtual reality screens. We've invested a lot of energy into this thing. Now, when we come into alignment, which most of us, as we begin to practice, we start coming into alignment and start stop resisting. I mean, if we aren't doing that, then what are we doing? Because meditation is to bring us into alignment. To bring us into alignment with what? Into the alignment of the natural flow of energy of the universe. And so, there's often a lot of catharsis a lot of energy that we have misplaced and misdirected in our thoughts and in our actions and in our contractions and in our 
resistance and our denial and our defense mechanisms, all of that, as we begin to practice, some of that begins to realign itself. We're not as willing to lie or distort or pretend or imagine. In fact, I would, ima- I would imagine, I would imagine that many of you are less imaginative now. And I don't mean less creative, I mean less imaginative than you used to be when you first started. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. You just, your mind just doesn't go off like that. You don't stare like forever like that, like, a, like you're catatonic. You know, that you come back quicker. You know, there's some mechanism that gets you back into alignment. So this energy is beginning to come back in. Now, that's both physical, because physically we begin to feel it. We begin to feel the realignment of the universal energy into a body that doesn't necessarily have the channels available for that realignment, because it's never had to have it. It's always had the bulge of the tire. That's where its energy's been going. And so as we realign, we begin, the body starts waking up to itself. And we begin to feel, in Hindu terms, the kundalini or the rising of energy in our spinal area, plus the myriad of expressions that energy has in other physical forms that people come to me all around and talk to me often. Sometimes it erupts into consciousness in a way that makes you almost feel like you're um, that you're about ready to explode. Uh, oftentimes there is the eruption of the discharge of energy where it's being held in memory or locked in emotions. That the emotion is discharged when we release the resistance to it and suddenly these memories come pouring back in. So all of this is part of how it is that we heal in accordance with realignment, how we realign ourselves. This is not a bad thing. It can be shocking. It can be uncomfortable. It can be surprising because we haven't lived with that uh, degree of alignment in our life. And so weird things can begin to happen and lights can flash on in our thing. And you can just, you have internal experiences that I don't want to go into because I'll set you up into thinking that why aren't I having this internal experience in this time? which isn't a point at all, and many people don't have anything. But many of us do, and it's all a very natural part of the realignment of this as we become less resisting. But remember now, all we're doing is releasing the resistance to life as it already is. We're not becoming something, because why? If we became something, cultivated something, improved ourselves tried to access something that wasn't there, we would be forming more of a bulge of pretentious energy, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be realigning to what is naturally there. We would be forming a new imaginative self that we are growing into. And therefore, the resistance would be even greater than uh, the resistance we have now as we begin. So you begin to see... You see, there's a spiritual logic that I have often talked to you about that's very important for you to start weighing into. So wait a second now. If this is naturally aligned energy and the sense of me is where I'm unaligned, then I don't want to become more of a sense of me. I don't want to become more of a sense of image, more of a sense of, 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 a, of, a, of, a, of a person who is separate from. I want to start melting back into I want to start realigning all of this. Would somebody mind going, to, telling them to just hold up? Thank you. So, we start, most of us start our meditation, uh, but we have to get over this impulse, uh, is to initially is a very self-contained, full and focus, uh, revving to go, because uh, we just don't like what we have, and we're revving, we want to get out of this packaging into a packaging that's much more agreeable. We don't really understand what we're saying, but we've got a lot of energy to do just that. And we get bottled up and uh, we start forcing ourselves, and that's the reason it's so difficult in the beginning, is that we're working counter to the actual alignment of energy as it needs to be. We're working against the natural flow. 
And it just feels like so, doesn't it? Oh, God, this is the hardest work. It's like loading a, um, a truck of bricks. Like, oh, bringing my mind back to the... Uh, uh. <laughs> you look up tired, sweat pouring down your face. Why does it have to be that way? Because we're, we're actually reinforcing the resistance. Because we're making it our project. All around us and all around what we're going to be attained and that sense of contracted energy is so strong and so forceful that it begins to break us down. Now, it doesn't break us down, hopefully. It can break us down. I'm very stubborn and it had to break me down. But don't be as stubborn as I am, please. Because if you're not, the next phase is that you'll be so worn out from unloading bricks that the new phase of energy the wisdom will start accompanying this new phase of energy. And that wisdom then is around how how much pain I'm causing myself by treating myself the way I'm treating myself in the disgust and self-degrading way I look at myself. There's so much resistance and turmoil I'm in trying to get out of my own skin that lo and behold you know, a flash of insight, this isn't the way to go. And we start turning the energy back towards what? Self-allowance, self-acceptance, self-appreciation, love, metta. Metta is the foundation on which much of that uh, inward healing is uh, discovered and uh begins to be um, infiltrated. So metta is like the home base of this next phase. And through metta, we begin to reach out to ourselves. We reach out to others. Relationships become easier because we realize that much of what we carry in terms of the relationship is our own ideas and projections about the relationship. And so as we release the tension that that is being held, the conflict of that, we find ourselves coming closer to people. We don't hate them as much. Okay? And there can actually be some warming of the heart there. And this is the, a beautiful road to a, to a, um, a, to a, a, a very important turnaround now. And it doesn't stop there. Uh, as we begin to turn around and begin to appreciate ourselves, the and the resistance becomes less, we suddenly have more energy because there's less resistance, because there's less self-hatred. Now more energy is available. Now, with more energy, less resistance, more wisdom arises. With more wisdom arising, there's less of me available. We see that we get in interfere with ourselves, and so we're not as uh, uh, we're not as quick to sort of explode upon the scene with ourselves. And that just willingness to pause, the willingness to pause and not rush in with ourselves at every every time there's a crack for us to do so, suddenly we feel more connected. Why? Because we're less resistant. Why? Because we... Do you see how it goes? It just keeps feeding this thing. But you've we got, we got to get on the right cycle. If you're not on the right cycle, you're going to go for a long period of time at the initial stage of self-embattlement and never get out of it and just think that you just have more to do, which you will and always will have. So if we're in the right frame of reference here, suddenly this thing starts working so that it starts feeding. One thing starts feeding another, starts feeding another. More energy available. Now the energy, because it's no longer fighting with the sense of self, wants to know what the self is. As a natural question arises at some point when it's no longer self-disgusted, it's like it's self-interested. Hmm. <laughs> Since you can't be my enemy, maybe I'll make you my friend. And now that you're my friend, let me tell me something about your background. <laughs> Where'd you come from? Who are you? What is this? You see? When you get to know somebody, it's the same thing. You don't like them, you're never going to exchange any, right? 
When you get to like them, then you get interested about them. When you get interested about yourself, you start liking yourself, you get interested about yourself. When you get interested about yourself, you start asking questions about yourself. Not the questions that are theoretical or analytical, but questions that really go to the base of what this thing is, who this thing is. It's all because the energy carries its own intelligence. We're just unleashing the energy of the universe. We're just realigning ourselves with what's always been there and, no, and decreasing the bulge of the tire. And all of this takes over our lives, starts taking a note. And we start feeling the effect of the energy of the universe pouring through us. Instead of pouring through me, Separate from the universe, it's pouring through me as a totality of the universe. And some of you might catch intimations of that sense of connection in yourself. Some of you might get a sense of a deep sense of connection, not necessarily the perceptual, the actual I perception of it, but the inward, an inward sense an inward perception of this reorientation of energy and, and just through the willingness not to be in such conflict with things, people, and to resolve those conflicts quickly if they and when they do arise so that we're not in constant battlement because there will be more resistance and therefore more me, the more conflict we turn our way, turn our back on the more righteous we become within that conflict, the more of the stronger the sense of I, this, the more the energy becomes distorted and warped within the perception of self and other. I'm doing a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, finally, so the, the fa- phases of the... Of what the stages that I mentioned were the stage of um, self-embattlement and then the stage of self-healing and then the stage of self-questioning and then the stage of integration of action, integration of action with our understanding. And some of you, I hope through my encouragement, are beginning to move yourself in that stage. You don't have to wait until you feel really good about yourself and open questions to come to this thing. In fact, we should be doing it on an ongoing basis. That means that when you have an insight about yourself, you start putting it into action, not letting it sit there on the shelf, your insight shelf, where you've written it down into your journal and you say, oh yes, I remember having that insight. That was a really good one. <laughs> like you're reading <laughs> the old story of your, of your wisdom. But you invite it in. You invite it in to manifest. You invite it in to actually take a reference for you in action. You invite it in. And it doesn't, it feels awkward. We don't know exactly how to make this thing move. We don't know exactly how to orient ourselves so that this thing has any uh, sense of resonance. But we do it anyway because we know it's true. Hmm? And I've given you lots of examples on that, so I'm not going to go spend a lot of time giving examples, except do it now. You know, so... What, I was just about ready to give an example. <laughs> you know, so, so where you're feeling some sense of self-dislike uh, or inadequacy, you hold, uh, you hold your posture counter to that assumption. And you look the person in the eye counter to the assumption that you're not worthy of looking the person in the eye. And you ask questions or you engage in an absolutely equal conversation even though inside we are screaming that we are not equal. Because the screens are the screens of distorted energy. And the eye that meets the eye in equality is the realignment that we have to go through. And we have to go through the screens of distorted energy to come to have it realign. Right? Doesn't happen overnight. But because these things are in such knots, we're untying the knot and allowing a new sense of alignment to to show itself.
So the first thing we have to do in order to make this thing work is to feel the urgency to arouse the energy to begin with. To call it forth. And all we have to do is remove the blocks that are there, the, the, the cynicism, the fixation, the neediness, the neurosis really, to have access to that energy. We don't have to become someone else. We just have to remove the blocks that's keeping us from being authentic. And in our authenticity, we, re- we realign ourselves with, from that energy. But only through action can, can that realignment ultimately take place. Only through action, only through actual movement in that because if you see the body if it were just a mental thing well that'd be fine except you have an encrusted body there that's frozen locked in to the perspective of the history of your life the lumps the stressors the tensions the emotional blocks that's what we're carrying that's fixated energy that's energy that has been fixed into matter called body That's mental energy fixed into body. And that body, we move lumber along with us. We may have a very clear mind, but the body may be 15th century. (laughs) So we have to bring it up to date, make it contemporary. The stuff reach out here. What are we doing? And I'm more and more, you're not going to get away from this well, you can get away from just not come Tuesday nights, but you're not going to get away from the theme if you do come to Tuesday nights because that's really where I'm seeing many of us losing our vitality. We think it'll all happen through the end, you know, just let the inside come, you know, have this wonderful sense of oneness and, and still act like a complete selfish jerk the rest of the week. Well, come on. We can we know better than that. So the feeling the urgency now also you can arouse urgency uh through interest, courage, honesty, accountability, all of those things will give us a realignment so that the energy is available. Honesty is a realignment of our energy. Right? Accountability is a realignment. Taking responsibility is a realignment. Interest, moving into life where we are most interested. Why is there interest there? Because the circuitry is aligned. When the circuitry is aligned, we're interested. When you're not interested, you're not aligned. When you're bored, the circuitry is cut off. Right? There's a circuit cutter. So to realign, the inter- we can often find great sources of interest, of energy through our interest. So that's important. Secondly, um, we begin to know where it is that our energies are systematically being blocked. Patterns that we have, areas that are being confiscated by our distortion. And at the same time you do that, you also begin to see how our actions are creating suffering for others. Not only are creating suffering for ourselves, these long personal involved actions of ourselves, but also how our actions hurt others. How, you, how, we, how our selfishness, when we are contracted, affects life. Now, every one of us in this room have sensitive hearts or you wouldn't be here. You may cover them over with a lot of show and stuff, but if I just scratch a little bit, your heart would be right there. And so when you start seeing how you affect other people through your actions and the pain we cause from our actions, and you just weigh in on that a little bit, just bring some consciousness to it, suddenly you have a lot of energy to get yourself moving in the right direction. But we have to be accountable. We have to see it. We have to be willing to look at what we're doing and the damages we're causing, which is not a pretty sight. And I don't care how 
long we've been practicing, you can still see the effect of where we are unconscious on others. And you don't have to look very far to see that. And then do we have the willingness to change once we see it? Do we have the willingness? Okay, I'm not, that's it. This resolve, which is another parami, this sense of absolute, that's it. We just throw down, you just throw down the gauntlet. You say, that's it, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Now that's, that's the courage of the Rumi poem I read. Come and, come and get me. Come and rip my heart open. Right? That's, that's raw energy. That's just no more, no, nothing. Don't, don't put one thing in front of this. And that comes. That comes with us. That comes, that sense of resolution does come. Another very fine way to arouse the energy in our life is by noticing and reflecting upon death and dying. Because hmm? it, uh, it's a denial, it's a distortion of energy that remains as one of the most fixed responses to life that we have, this sense that we're not going to die or that we don't, we keep it at arm's length. And when we start letting that in, believe me, I know, when you start letting that in, boy, the energy just come, I went For the first number of years I was in hospice care, I, I would bounce out of bed to what? To get to the, the side of the dying patient. Because it was... It was just it was just opening up areas of myself that I could have never opened up in the forests of Thailand. And it was it was because I was realigning a major dysfunction of my life, a major form and expression of denial. And with that, the, th- the energy just pours. It just you can feel it as that is realigned with what is true. And reflecting on one's own death can bring the same the same results. So to use death, if it feels right to you. So for some people, it's not the right tool. It's not the right lineage. But if it feels right to, to give yourself some reminders of the fact that this is an impermanent existence that we're all in, just so that the denial keeps breaking down. We don't keep maintaining that sense of denial that we are a forever being. And all of this is merely to come back to a natural flow and movement within ourselves. Right? No more pretension. We have to want that. It doesn't come unwelcome. It comes only through our welcoming. I want this. I want to be authentic. To know and to be what the universe wants from me, not from what I want from the universe. How can I be a servant to that? How can I receive that? Realign with it. And that's the question that will follow us the rest of our life. Thank you all very much. Can we sit for a minute or two? I always think it's important for us to after a talk, when you had the, perhaps the um, motivation to put the talk into action, this moment, this brevity, this few precious moments in which you're sitting there, apply the talk to the sitting so that there's no resistance to anything that's arising. So that you're not weighing in with an objection, with a critiquing, what's occurring. That you give yourself even over to the need to pull back in any way from that. And the closer, the less resistance, the closer the proximity, the less you're involved. 
You don't have to do something with yourself. You just have to stop resisting what you are doing and you will melt inevitably into the flow and movement of life. You are not a problem. You're not a problem to be solved. You're an objection to be surrendered. That's all. So if there are any questions or comments about anything, I'd be happy to try to respond. Yes. Um, we were talking about the real, the real, the real life. Yes. So I've noticed over a period of time some of those, uh, like the curiosity and the awe. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. And then so at the same time, um, Okay, so um, he says that sometimes he has these moments of awe and inspiration and beauty and curiosity and interest that just come and they're so precious and they're so beautiful. And then other moments in which he feels very distant from any sense of awe or beauty or appreciation at all. And it's so far away. You, you look at how, they're like polar opposites, don't they? Like they don't even exist on the same planet. Okay, I love those moments. <laughs> okay, so you gotta get you gotta get the feeling for why I love them because that's where you're that's where you're most that's where you've been thrown out of heaven that's where you're in purgatory that's that's the worst of the worst that's where you are you know confined to your hell realm all right and. That's where you have to prove to yourself that it's not that far away. You have to prove it. Now, how do you prove it? You see? So this is very important. Think, oh, God, i got to go to Tuesday night. No, you don't do that. <laughs> in the moment, you're having that. In the moment. This is all that it takes. This is all that it takes. In the moment of your deepest discomfort, You stop. Which means what? You stop the narrative. You stop investing in your hell. But I like my hell. We really do like our hell. That's what we have to stop is the liking of the hell we're in. Oh, I'm such a miserable... We really believe. We do. We believe that storyline. We believe the caption. Oh, this is the worst moment of my... I can't... So if you're not willing to come out of that, the sorrowful me, then it's going to continue. But if you're willing to test it, just test it. Because I like, okay, is there any God in this universe? Am I alone in here? That's how I'm feeling right now. So I'm going to shut up and see. I'm not. I'm afraid that's what happens is that light comes pouring forth. As soon as we're willing to shut up, light comes pouring forth because the alignment is there. Alignment is always there. We just keep believing in the bulge. Meanwhile, the tire is completely round. And so, in the horror of your fear, of your disgust, of your worst moment of self-pity, or your highest moment of self-righteousness, in which you either love being separate or hate and detest the sense of me who is separate, let us shut up. So that's all, that's all it takes. Isn't that amazing? And now, the next time you're in it, try to convince you that you're not. Because now you know. Now you've tested the water. Now you keep bringing up every state of mind. Boredom. Impatience. uh, Righteousness. uh, Frustration. Self-indulgence. You keep bringing... Okay, and you kept testing it. And now, when they come up, you don't... It's like... (laughs) Be gone. (laughs) 
be gone. It's, it's worse than that. It doesn't even form. It's not, it doesn't, it's not that you have to wave it away. It doesn't form. Because you don't believe it anymore. You've tested it so often. Yes? It, and it, re, it requires, I mean, sometimes a, a, um, a, a form of investigation or questioning, like where is there love in this moment? Or is there love for this too? Or many different ways that we can hold that phrase to encompass uh, the greatest objection in our life, right? Right, but it's the reframing of it that's important. It's the willingness to see it for what it is rather than to identify it for what it's not. And mostly we identify it for what it's not. We get infused in the story and the bulge. (laughs) I'm going to be patient. (laughs) Okay, anyone else before we... Yes, in the back. Okay, good. So he wants to cultivate vulnerability outside of catastrophe. And when I try, um, I find my personal practice slows me down and my mental practice makes me kind of nice in a sweet way. Well, it doesn't come from either one of those. The vulnerability, he's talking... Oh, that's coming from back there. I thought somebody was... Um, So what, where does vulnerability... Vulnerability comes from when your defenses are broken down, you see, when you no longer have certainty in your life, when you're, def- when you're not there forming a secure... When you're not enmeshed in security, right? Somebody leaves you, somebody dies, a tragedy happens, suddenly you're blown open to a place where it's very fragile. There's no certainty, okay? Now, that lasts for as long as, in this case, until you forget that person and meet another one. And then it all starts forming again. A couple of things. One is, don't regret the reformation. Learn how it reforms and around what, where the certainty lies. Because you've already seen that no matter where it lies, it's uncertain. You've just infused it with a denial that it is uncertain, but it's still uncertain. All relationships in all relationships in because one partner or the other will die. All things that come together have to part. That's the truth. Our certainty goes when we deny that truth. So if you live with that truth, even in relationship, you will have that vulnerability within relationship as you as you live it because you won't deny the fact that this too shall pass. See? Right now, begin to love, as, you're, as you are saying, love that sense of fragility of heart. You know, you're the preciousness of it. You have a rare opportunity to enjoy that space. And I don't, I don't mean that it isn't, doesn't hurt. There is pain, but there's a sweetness to it as well. And the birds have, are, are heard in a way they weren't. Light refracts from trees. Shines, you know, there's a shining and an appreciation to life in that vulnerability. Release the investment in the hurt in all of the ways that you should have had, the, what the relationship and the grief and all that, and, and bring as much attention to the beauty of the vulnerability, the sweetness of the vulnerability. Appreciate that space so that when you have the opportunity, and there are many times, and we fill in many of our moments of vulnerability by thrashing around, like moments in which you forgot something, 
or take the wrong road somewhere or can't find your car in the parking lot. Those are moments of vulnerability, but we fill them with self-frustration or rage, road rage or something. In fact, every time we get cut off or anything happens that wasn't your aspiration, there's vulnerability, isn't there? And But we take it as being a moment to get over and to and to you know to to improve so that we never have that happen to us again. So I'm going to remember where my car is every time, and this is how I'm going to do it. Blah blah. But we don't appreciate the vulnerability. We don't appreciate that space at all. We move too fast quickly through it because in that space we are not the same person we were when we were secure within ourselves. And because we're not the same person, that's the reason there's so much appreciation. That's the reason life can get in in a different way. It's because we're not holding life external to us through our investing life to be certain. When we see it as an it's uncertain way, it gets in and as an uncertain way, and that's vulnerability. Okay? So that's about all I have to say tonight. Thank you all for your attention. And if you um, next week we'll have a discussion on this topic. For those of you who avoid discussions, you might want to think about the actual action associated with change that often requires or invested in the discussion time. That's the first step of bringing this subject beyond the cognitive into the cells of our body. Discussion is an action in which that takes, starts taking place. So if you want to cut that part of your practice off, you're welcome to do so, but it's very important. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.